And the Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Gracious God, help us right now to survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died. And we pray this in his name. Amen. A number of years ago, I gave a talk to some high school students, and the topic was human emotions. And a friend of mine named Mark was sitting in the back row. While I was speaking, Mark turned to the person beside him and started to whisper something. So I paused, and I said, excuse me, Mark. And Mark stopped whispering, and I began speaking again. But then Mark started whispering again. So I said a little more firmly, hey, uh, Mark, trying to give a talk here. So I started speaking again, and Mark started whispering again. And this time I said, Mark, for the last time, please stop talking. And with that, Mark leapt to his feet, stormed out of the room, and slammed the door. And then I turned to the group and I said, okay, think about what you're feeling right at this moment. And then Mark came back into the room and took a bow, which let the teens know that Mark and I had planned this little scene on purpose in order to look at the emotion of anger. All of which is to say that anger can be really scary. Those kids were frightened, and rightly so, by Mark's outburst. In fact, I, mean, I want to say that any display of anger by anyone tends to make me feel really unsettled. So in today's gospel that Jake just read, when sweet Jesus, meek and mild, grabs a strip of leather and starts whipping people, I mean, I'm not just a little unsettled. I mean, I start to get scared. Let me just remind you that the only passages that appear in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are one, the events of Holy Week, two, the feeding of the 5,000, and three, today's Gospel. I mean, how amazing that the anger of Jesus is so important that it makes it into the top three passages recorded in all four Gospels. Now, let me tell you the wrong way in which I try to understand this gospel. I try to understand the anger of Jesus by comparing it to my own anger. As it turns out, that doesn't work. I mean, just think for a minute about the things that maybe made you angry this past week. 
I mean, uh, was it a subway that took just forever to arrive when you were already late? I mean, was it maybe an internet connection that crashed? Um, maybe a boss who did not appreciate your brilliant work? Maybe a member of your family who completely refused to take your wise and helpful advice? These are not the things that make Jesus mad. Jesus is not having a tantrum here. He's not losing his grip. This is not an uncontrolled outburst. This is not a misdirected, um, suppressed hostility vented on innocent bystanders. The scene here is the temple in Jerusalem. And the first thing that angers Jesus is the temple tax that everyone has to pay. And the problem is that you have to pay the tax with special coins. So you go to a money changer in the temple and you trade in your money for these special coins. And the problem is the rate of exchange. These money changers are charging an astronomical fee for the temple coins. They're getting rich from the need of the faithful to worship God. And the other thing that makes Jesus mad here uh, has to do with the custom of offering a sacrifice when you worship. And the problem lies with the inspectors of the animals that you bring into the temple. Their job is to make sure that you, the animal you bring is ritually pure and clean, no blemish. And the problem is that any animal you bring from the outside is going to have a blemish. It's going to be declared unclean. And a clean dove that you can only buy from the inside is going to cost a million bucks. Bare-faced extortion at the expense of wanting to worship God. So into this scene walks Jesus. And as St. Jerome puts it, a certain fiery and starry light shone from his eyes, and the majesty of the Godhead gleamed in his face. I mean, it's really a wild scene. Tables are flying all over the place. Uh, coins are rolling across the floor, and the animals are bellowing, and men are cowering in the corner, and some of them are down on their hands and knees scrambling to get the coins, and the lash of the whip is sharp, and the voice of Jesus shouts out, Take these things away. Now, everything I've said so far is an introduction to this next sentence. Jesus is just as Christ-like in this moment as he is on the cross. There is as much love expressed in the crashing over of these tables as when Jesus takes little children in his arms to bless them. And why? Because the anger of God is directed at all of the things that separate you and me from the mercy and the forgiveness and the love and the hope and the peace that God is yearning for you and me on this Sunday morning at Calvary St. George's Church. 
God does not look at the suffering and the misery of six and a half million Syrian refugees living in camps and say, oh, that's okay. The tents in those camps are actually pretty good. God doesn't look at the attacks going on right now on Asians and Americans and say, oh, that's okay. Things will get better if everybody just calms down a little. God was not watching Larry Dunham when he froze to death on the steps of Symphony Hall one cold winter's night up where I live in Massachusetts and said, well, that's okay, really just another drifter. And finally, God doesn't look on the wreckage caused by Jim Monroe's self-centeredness and say, well, I mean, that's okay, boys will be boys. Martin Luther once prayed these words, Ah, God, punish us, we pray thee, but be not silent towards us. On one level, uh, that's a terrible prayer, but at the deepest level, it springs from a profound awareness of God's grace. Because God's wrath takes aim at everything that separates us from his love. Anything that compromises his yearning for you and for me to be healed, whether it be unfair rates of interest or even the desires of our hearts. And if ever there was anyone who could identify with the money changers in the temple, it was St. Paul. Except that Paul didn't just shortchange people. Paul had them killed. If ever there was anyone who felt the despair and the, of being separated from any hope, it was Paul, which is why he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from the obscenity of refugee camps? Who will deliver me from a culture that lets a man freeze to death on the steps of a temple to beauty? And most of all, who will deliver me from myself? From not doing what I know I should do, but doing the very thing I hate. Who will deliver me from just giving up on any hope for healing? And then he answers in the very next breath, as you know, in Romans 8, um, his own question. He says, thanks be to God, through Romans 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God that on the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died, the wrath of God took on the form of sacrificial love. Choir is going to sing an anthem in a few minutes, and one of the verses says this, Bearing shame and scoffing pride, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Man of sorrows, what a savior. So, what do you think it would look like? What might it look like if all the things that move God to anger were finally abolished? And you didn't need temple coins, 
or pure doves to be welcomed home by God. What could our experience be of having our pardon sealed with his blood? Well, I've been reading about a rabbi. A rabbi whose son went on a semester-long program in Israel. And the program included a trip to Poland to visit the concentration camps. And while they were there, a new friend of the rabbi's son, a young man named Mason, disappeared for an entire day. And when the day was over and he had returned, he told the rabbi's son a story. It was a story about his grandparents who had gotten married just three weeks before they were deported to Auschwitz. And in Auschwitz, Mason's grandfather would go every evening to the fence separating the men from the women to bring his new wife a crust of bread or a potato or just to see her. Then his new wife was transferred to a rabbit farm on the Auschwitz outskirts of Auschwitz. And the Nazis were doing some experiments on rabbits at this farm. And the farm was run by a Polish man who saw that the rabbits were getting better food than the Jews. And so he started to sneak rabbit food to the Jews. Then one day, Mason's grandmother, this is a true story, Mason's grandmother cut her arm on some barbed wire and the cut became terribly infected. And in that place and in that time, there was no way that any Jews were going to get any medicine. So this Polish man who was running the rabbit farm put today's anthem that the choir is about to sing into practice. He went up to that same fence and put his arm out to it and scraped it and cut his own arm wide open. And then he took his open wound and he placed it right on top of the woman's festering infected wound. And after his own arm became infected, he went to the Nazis and he said, I'm one of your best managers. This rabbit farm is really productive. If I die, you're going to lose a lot of productivity. I need some medicine. They gave him the medicine. He then shared the medicine with the woman, and he saved her life. And when Mason finished telling this story to the rabbi's son, he ended by saying, I was gone today to visit that Polish man. He's still alive, living on the outskirts of Warsaw. And I went to say to him, thank you for my life. Where this morning have you perhaps given up some hope? Hope for forgiveness. Hope for love. Hope for peace. Can you know that God burns white hot against everything that's binding you? And can you know that God has acted? That Jesus has taken your despair and mine 
upon himself. That on the cross, Jesus has placed his wounded body on all the infections of separation and sadness and guilt and despair in our lives. Can you and I know this morning that the offer of forgiveness and of healing is right here, right now, from the young Prince of Glory who loves us so much. So let's conclude this sermon by standing to sing together the last verse of the hymn we sang just before this sermon. I mean, that might have been the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And he said earlier he was kind of unsure about this. That's absurd. Now let's affirm our faith.